Scott Prather here with you and joined by my friend from the Crescent City. Is uh, That's not where he's from, but that's where he's currently located. Covering the New Orleans Saints, beat writer for the Times-Picayune and the Advocate, NOLA.com. Our good friend Luke Johnson is with us. And uh, Luke, how was the view from the press box yesterday at the few more fans in the stands? Was, did, did it feel any different? Uh, every, like there was a couple times when it felt a little different. Like the end of the game, there was a, there was a pretty loud hootat chant. Um, you know, there's there's a couple moments where the crowd got into it, but it was still like it was it was like a it was like going to a very lightly attended high school game, you know, <laughs> just with much better players um, in a really big stadium. It was really hard to tell there was three thousand people there visually, just because they were so spread out. Um, that it just kind of looked like uh, it just kind it, it kind of looked exactly like it did when it was empty. Um, but it, it was it it was good in those those few moments to to just like remember like hey there's actually people here seeing this. Um, it was a little bit different than what we'd been experiencing, and uh, and yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to to just the point when they can kind of continue adding to that safely. Luke Johnson uh, has some great stuff for you over at uh, at nola.com. And uh, the Times Pick Union and the Advocate today about the win last night. And, you know, uh, yesterday, one of the things I was reading, it was like, I- I've been complaining all week about lack of sleep, and my wife's been giving me a hard time, but I've had to like work late, and it just, it just hadn't worked out. And then I read your story about the Saints trying to deal with the issue of Emmanuel Sanders when they learned he wouldn't be able to play being up until 3 a.m., trying to figure things out. Uh, I would say they did a pretty good job at navigating that crisis, as you put it. Yeah, yeah, not too bad, right? Like the the first drive of the game, is, and that's what I wrote about. It. I just thought that was it was just so indicative of of just like that team saying like, okay, we have this we have this problem, um, we're gonna solve it, uh, no matter how much effort and time it takes, and uh, we're gonna be ready to play. And the first drive of the game, they go out and. And they go 75 yards in 14 plays. It takes eight and a half minutes. It's their longest drive of the season by time of possession and by number of plays. Uh, they convert a bunch of third downs. Um, they get everybody involved. I mean, they had five different guys catch the ball. They had three different guys run the ball. Um, yeah, it was it was just a, a a great drive that set the tone for the game for the Saints to say, look, it, we are down two of our best players and it doesn't matter because we're still going to move the ball against you guys. And, um, and that's, that's not because they have, um, they have great players still, right? Like Alvin Kamara and Jared Cook played big roles on that drive. Obviously Drew Brees is the one running the show, but yeah, they're, they're not putting together drives like that because they have great players. They're, they're putting it together because they're, they're so well prepared. Um, and, uh, you know, they just have a better plan than, than anybody else because they put the effort in behind it. I think, I think coming off of a game like that, if the Saints lose, you look at, a, a, at reasons why, and you point to different reasons, and you look at Carolina and what they did on third down, and I'm sure that that's what they're doing in Charlotte today. They're looking at what the Saints did on third down, and you, I mean, you did a good job of breaking this down, but they were historically great yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, they're uh, like a pro football reference for for those of us who like write about the NFL. It's like this indisposable tool, right? You can like plug and play and and figure stuff out, and like they have this like database that's very searchable. And so I, 
Page of Saints went 12 of 14 on third down yesterday. I was like, that seems pretty good. <laughs> like, it's an 85% success rate. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, and it, Pro Football Reference database goes back to 1991 for, like, third down, like, single game third down numbers. And I, I looked it up, and the Saints are, are the second team since they began keeping records in 1991 to convert 85% of their third downs in a game. And the other team that did it was the Saints in 2008, another Sean Payton and Drew Brees team. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was really, really remarkable yesterday. And it wasn't just that they were converting a bunch of third and shorts. I mean, they did, but you know, they also had like a third and 14 that they converted. They had a third and 10 that they converted. Um, you know, probably like five or six, third and eight or longer. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I think that was the story of the game offensively for them yesterday. Luke Johnson, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. I'm Scott Prather. Um, <clears throat> Drew Brees was fantastic, and his favorite target in terms of number of receptions was Marquez Callaway. I'm sorry, Marquez Callaway. Uh, you guys got to speak with him a little bit on Zoom afterwards. I know he was limping. We won't know what his status is, but um, certainly, you know, when you have the issues you have at wide receiver right now, like the Saints do. You're in a situation where a rookie UDFA, if he misses next Sunday against Chicago, that's going to be a big loss because he was, he has been showing up. Uh, and yesterday, you know, he just they they really utilized him, and you know, you you can come up with all kind of different words to describe it. But from the press box, I mean, watching that guy do what he did yesterday, this doesn't feel like a. Um, I don't know. One trick pony might be the wrong phrase I'm looking for. This doesn't feel like a flash in the pan. This this guy feels like he's going to be around for a while. Yeah, he's he's somebody that they uh, they identified pretty pretty quickly in training camp as as someone who could like really help him. And yeah, you know, I think when I was looking at Callaway, I was like, when he was coming in, I was like, okay, he's uh, like maybe a guy who could be like a like kind of a, a backup return man, you know, because I, I think last week he did a great job um, filling in for Deontay Harris in that role. And, uh, you know, just kind of figured he'd be like a practice squad receiver, special teams guy, maybe a developmental guy. But they saw something more in him. And I think it's helping to do as a receiver, but like if, if, if you look at what he did yesterday, I mean, they, they trusted him to, to be like their top receiver and they, they trusted him to get open and, you know, Carolina was helping by playing a lot of zone, and and that's something that, you know, where where you can kind of teach a guy how to find the spots in that, and, and uh, you know, you, you can you can run the right sort of route combinations to get people open, but he still had to go out and make the plays, and you know, I think just really just the fact that he was even talking to us yesterday after the game, um, yeah, I think that leaves me to that leads me to believe that he's going to be completely fine heading into the Chicago week. Usually if, if guys are, if guys are actually hurt to where, to the point where they can, they cannot uh, play the next week. They, they usually don't make them available after the game. So I think that was a good sign. That is a good sign. Indeed. ESPN fourteen twenty. Luke Johnson, our guests break it down. The saints victory over the Panthers yesterday. Uh, Drew Brees now leading the NFL in completion percentage uh, so far this season. Um, just terrific performance yesterday. And I, I, you know, we, we've said it a lot over the last 14 plus years here, you know, you can get spoiled playing with a guy that, uh, is that good and that accurate. And this idea of, Oh, you can put anyone in there and, and he makes it happen. It worked yesterday. It still went down to the wire. They still, you know, had a really close game. 
Um, I think that sometimes when you win, you, you say, well, you can do it without anybody. The reality is the Saints, they, they need Emmanuel Sanders. They need Michael Thomas. And these Thomas rumors, which kind of started with something that wasn't really a rumor, just people talking. And then last night, Florio saying, well, his camp is seeing if maybe somebody could put forth an offer. This doesn't seem like something Sean Payton's going to want to talk to you guys about at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I highly doubt it. You know, Sean Payton uh, got on Twitter this weekend and uh, and you kind of shut those rumors down, or he tried to, but uh, Florio's still going for it. So um, we'll see if we'll see if he actually uh, decides to tell us what he what he said on Twitter. But um, yeah. If, if you remember back in training camp, there was there was talk about the Saints being open to trading Alvin Kamara too, and then that didn't really uh, right. that didn't really materialize. And um, you know, I, I think Mike is is um, you know a bit of a, a mercurial dude. Um, you know, I think he's a very passionate guy. So yeah, there's there's sure probably a possibility that he is upset that he got. Um, held out of the game and, and, you know, had a game check taken away from him. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's like, there's, there's, there's you know, not bad blood, but like some, some, uh, you know, disagreements, some strong disagreements within, within the, between the organization and Mike Thomas right now. But I don't think, I don't think this is seriously going to elevate to the point where, where the Saints fresh off of paying this guy a hundred million dollars and having him, respond in the first season of that hundred million dollar deal to have one of the best seasons ever by a wide receiver um, to then suddenly decide like, ah, oh, like he's too much of a headache for us. Like, I, I think they're, they're, you know, going to iron out whatever differences they have um, and, and continue kind of being together because they, they are really a match made in heaven. I don't, I don't know if Mike Thomas goes to another offense and, and it's the same sort of thing. I think he's really, really good. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think he'd be a very good receiver elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I think this is, this is probably the best offense for him. The best, the best look for him. Um, yeah. They'll, they'll get it worked out. Luke Johnson, our guest, ESP at 1420.com. Um, I, I liken Michael Thomas to Christian Bale, right? Like one of the best at his craft, you know, method actor, and what makes him great is also what sometimes can get him into a little bit of trouble, you know, because he, he, he gets so into a role and then it might carry over onto the set and then, and then things get personal. And then, you know, but once the movie comes out, you're like, wow, I mean, what, what, a, what a performance, you know, it's like on, on Sunday, you see Michael Thomas, you're like, this is unbelievable. And yet that thing that drives him, that is what makes him great also can sometimes get him in the trouble or with his teammates or the situation with CJ Gardner Johnson, but it's like, it's Christian Bale. Like, you want him in your movie. It's Michael Thomas. You want him in your offense. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, if, if we're talking about a guy that's, you know, uh, you know the, the eighth Baldwin brother, then he's probably not on the team anymore, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's not like, I don't, I don't think there's a situation where, where he's like, you know, Antonio Brown level, like, distraction, right? Um, like, I don't want people to make it out this way. Like, yeah, I certainly wish like Mike was a little less like prickly, you know, <laughs> but like, I don't think he's this, he's this huge problem for them. Gotcha. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I, I think 
yeah, like that, that's that's like what comes with the territory when you've got you've got a highly competitive, like highly driven individual. Um, you know, they're they're not going to be wired the same way as as the guy who's uh, you know the second receiver on the practice squad. He, he's not like he's not like going to be a nice guy. Uh, he's he's going to be demanding and and uh, he's going to be like. Uh, like Mike is. <laughs> so I, I think you, you just have to understand that like, if, you, if you're going to have this like alpha dog receiver, um, who's going to be out there just playing bully ball on people, like you're going to have to deal with this sort of, uh, you know, behavior sometimes. Um, and you're going to have to manage it. It's just, it's kind of been like the nature of, of people who play this position at a high level for a long time. Like it requires a certain kind of personality. Um, there, there's very few like one a wide receivers um, out there who are who are just going to be you know Larry Fitzgerald. I, it, it, it just doesn't happen very often. Um, you, know, you, you got to have you got to have this. Um, I want the ball. I don't care who's in the way. Sort of mentality. Um, so I, I think they'll they'll manage it. They'll deal with it. Um, and I think they'll be together for a long time. It'd be Really, really surprised if this actually picks up any steam. Same speed writer Luke Johnson, our guest, ESPN 1420. Um, how's it been covering Malcolm Jenkins this year? I know he's um, a little more accessible to the media. Uh, what's been your thoughts on him being back in a Saints uniform? I know you weren't on the beat during his first stint. I mean, that was that was years ago, but uh, but back in the Saints locker room. Um, yeah, it's it's been a little bit different this year, obviously, just with without having like access to, to the players in person. Um, it's hard to really get to know somebody on, on a Zoom call, as I'm sure everybody is aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get a chance to just like kind of um, just casually talk without a, a like a voice recorder on, you know. Um, which I, I feel like it'd be nice to have that opportunity with Malcolm because he's just a, he's a very like smart engaging guy like you can see why why people listen to him and um you know why he's involved in so much stuff um you know i I think uh i think on the field it's been kind of hit or miss so far um but as far as just like getting to know the guy um he seems like a like a very uh like a very good guy to know um but without uh without just the ability to just like go in and sit in with these guys and just like be in an open locker room for 45 minutes and just kind of shoot the breeze um it's been a little bit more difficult than than a usual year to to get to know somebody like malcolm jenkins or emmanuel sanders or or something like that luke uh this is a question that we all ask i don't know that anyone could answer it but how does a team burn a timeout to avoid a delay a game coming out of a quarter I have no idea. Um, <laughs> like I remember when that happened last night. Um, I was looking down at my computer and uh, and I, you know, I heard I heard him say like timeout. I was just like like three of us just like looked up and like in unison said like what? Um, just I, I don't really know. I, I wish I would have uh, thought to ask about that <laughs> after the game. There's there's you, know, you, you kind of like lose track of stuff like that when when it, it ended up not mattering and. And all that. Maybe I'll, I'll get to ask Sean Payton about it today. Yeah, uh, but I've I've no idea how that happens. 
It's um, crazy. And it almost yeah, m- cost much them. like much like watching that uh that uh Seahawks Cardinals game last night and you know, Cliff Kingsbury accidentally iced his own kicker because they were about to have a delay a game penalty before a forty one yard field goal attempt on second down. I right. it, it's just <laughs> yeah, sometimes like like stupid stuff like that happens in a game where you're just like I, I don't understand how this happens, but like then again I'm I'm also um you know, a human being who does like ridiculously dumb stuff sometimes. And, uh, and I think that's what I'm just going to have to chalk it up to. Yeah. Like, like clock management is something that is, I think easier for the common fan to understand because it's just mathematics. Right. And it's like, well, like what do you, you know, like from the outside now, there's a lot going on at an NFL sideline, a ton. And so sometimes it's like, look, you, you know, it, it's, you don't know everything that's happening down there. There's a hundred things. But when you're coming out of a quarter, man, it just, it's inexcusable. It's crazy that that happened. And they're really fortunate. I mean, it, it could have cost them the game had they not, you know, if Deontay Harris catches that thing a half foot closer to the goal line and doesn't cross at the end of the first half, that timeout, you know, that they wasted ends up, Costing them a score, which could be the difference in the game, but they were able to they were able to overcome it. I won't say get away with it; they were able to overcome it. They got the touchdown late, and I thought, you know, between that, the turnover, the missed sixty-five yard field goal, and the Davenport sack, I thought those were the four biggest plays of the game. And maybe the fifth one is, I, 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 I think I've asked you this multiple times, Luke, but. Alvin Kamara, I mean, he gets the ball. It's third and 14. He gets a first down that I don't think any other player in the league could have gotten there. They get points on that drive. Do you have to remind yourself just how good he is sometimes? Yeah, I mean, the guy's just like a a completely unfair advantage sometimes, it feels like. Like, honestly, he's one of maybe like two or three players in the NFL who just consistently, routinely looks like he's playing a different game than somebody else. Like he he really does look like a varsity player, uh, like on a rehab assignment against JV guys, you know. Um, it's like him, maybe Patrick Mahomes, and I don't know. Like sometimes Kyler Murray does some stuff that just like it doesn't doesn't look like he's playing the same game. Or DK but, Metcalf running, you know, what oh felt God. like a hundred yards in three seconds. <laughs> that was nuts. Yeah. It was so I, I when, when that happened last night, I just like I, I made sure to like pull up the the photo of DK Metcalf before the before the combine, um, where he's just, yeah, just like incredibly yoked and like five times the size of AJ Brown, who's also a big NFL receiver. Next oh, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, Alvin, um, it's it's just he's so much fun to watch. Like like I I very much feel like he's he's like our generation's closest thing to Barry Sanders. Um, where he just he just does some stuff that doesn't it doesn't make sense it kind of defies explanation and and even even that play you know it, that was kind of routine for him right like he just he's just like oh I'm gonna break this tackle and then I'm gonna take the perfect angle to the sticks and I'm going to extend this ball over the line just as this guy's getting to me on third and fourteen for a fourteen yard gain and um you know his his balance to stay in is just like it's it's I'm having a hard time describing it, and that's kind of always the case with Alvin. It's it's just uh, he's so much fun to watch. Um, I feel very very lucky to to just like get to watch all of his games in person, um, and I'm I'm so happy that he's healthy this year uh, because that means we get to see more stuff like that. 
100%. Luke Johnson, Saints beat writer for the Times-Picayune and the Advocate. NOLA.com, at by Luke Johnson on Twitter. He's uh, our guest here. I'm Scott Brather. Yeah, I, I'm not really one of those radio guys that does the I told you so a lot. It's just, I don't know. I've never been that way. But, like, I was in the camp of, like, you need to extend this guy, and a lot of people weren't. And it's not so much that I remind them that I was in that camp, but occasionally the people I know that were like, you shouldn't give them this extension, I like to, like, maybe text them every now and then after a big play and be like, you still feel that way? Just, just you know, because – Man, he is fun. Like I, I it, in in the health part of it. Like I said that last year. I was like, look, everyone's talking about Dalvin Cook and and his contract and how he deserves it. Dalvin Cook has been injured a lot more in his career than than Kamara. Kamara, if you look at the entire sample size of his first few seasons, he's been healthy more than he's been hurt. And even when he was hurt, he still did some things effectively in the offense. It just wasn't this, you know, for lack of better words, magic that he occasionally does on a Sunday that just makes you sit back and say. No one else can do that, but man, I mean, he is—he is worth every penny. That guy is. Uh, give him another extension. I find myself saying that sometimes when I watch him. Yeah, yeah, and he—he he legitimately is. And and look, it's not just—it's not just that that you know he has these these splash plays and everything. Like he's—he is a, a huge part of their offense. He touches the ball more than anybody else. Um, and and he does it in so many unique ways out of out of so many different formations. Um, you can line him out wide. You can line him up in the backfield. You can line him up as a like a wing back. Um, that yeah, you know, I, I think you can pull Michael Thomas out of the offense and it'll be fine. I think you can pull. Um, you know, we saw last year even even somebody like Drew Brees. If you have if you have like a like a capable guy behind him. Um, who just knows how to how to work within the framework of the offense? It can still it can still be successful. Um, I think they'd have a hard time dropping somebody into Alvin Kamara's spot and saying like we're going to run this offense. Um, yeah, I know they did it for a couple of year or a couple of games last year, um, where they basically had to change what they did and they just became like kind of a ground and pound offense with Latavius Murray. Um, I, I don't think they could run their offense without without Alvin. Um, and I, I think he is absolutely worth every penny. Be, and and you know, people who, who make the argument, like don't pay running backs, yada, yada, yada. Like he's not really a running back. You know, he's, he's like the, what the future of the position is going to be. Um, you know, him and guys like Christian McCaffrey, they don't just impact the game as a running back. Um, they're, they're like the all purpose uh, weapon. And, and uh, yeah, I think, you're going to see more and more players in, in youth football and college football, high school football, try to be like Alvin Kamara. Um, and, and uh, I, I think that's, that's kind of where the position is heading. So, you know, maybe, maybe people can say, you know, don't pay running backs with guys like Dalvin cook who are, who are you know, more in the traditional mold because, um, you know, you can kind of replicate that with, with other people for less money, but um I, I wouldn't say Alvin Kamara fits that same mold. Yeah, he's not replicable. Uh, just he's he's not. I mean, he does things that no one else can do, and um, the Saints are lucky to have him. Luke Johnson, we've been lucky to have you, man. Thanks for joining us on a Monday morning. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter, everybody. Most of you already do, but just in case, at by Luke Johnson, B Y Luke Johnson on Twitter. Check out all of his stuff there at nola dot com. Uh, final question, Luke. Did you and the Mizzes finally finish the boys? And uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, we did. And look, I 
the the first couple episodes of uh, of season two, I was I was a little I wasn't I wasn't feeling it as much as I was season one. Like I, I love season one; it was one of my favorite uh, uh, seasons of of TV in a while. Um, and then I thought the last like three or four episodes of season two were just like phenomenal TV. Uh, and the 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 kicker was was great. Uh, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm looking forward to what I'm assuming is going to be another season. I, I don't know if it's been picked up yet, but uh, uh, they, they left a, a nice teaser. Yeah. They left a nice teaser. Uh, so yeah, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was great. And if uh, if people in your your listening audience have not watched the boys yet, I would highly, highly recommend it. It's terrific. Just man. don't watch it with kids. Maybe. Nope, nope. It's a superhero show, but uh, not for kids. But uh, but yeah. I, 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 <laughs> Dude, I, I would love to debate with you, but I kind of felt the same way. It was like, you know, I'm like, this is just not giving me that same feeling, and, you know. And, look, the first season you could binge it. The second one you kind of had to wait a little while. Uh, I thought the third episode was good. It was entertaining with the whale, but they kind of spoiled it in all the teasers, so it wasn't as, I don't know, enjoyable. Uh, but those last few episodes were, like, just just phenomenal stuff. Top well, notch. They, they had they had a lot more a lot more like uh, like setup in this one. You know, it was it was it was it was like they 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 were kind of leading you along. They were like, "Hey, trust us, trust us, trust us. It's going to be really good by the time it ends." Yeah, yeah, good build. Uh, but like you had, yeah, the the buildup was important. You know, in the end, uh, but it was it was not as it was uh, it was not as like uh, like fast paced as the first season. Uh, which was okay. It ended up being it ended up being really good. Yeah, <laughs> the the last the end of the second season was phenomenal. The the end of the episode there was eight episodes. The end of episode seven was like, oh my gosh! All right, that's that's <laughs> how you lead into the uh, finale. But like the end of season one, I remember the finale was it was good, but it almost felt like more of a setup for season two. Whereas this time, they definitely left you with something, like you said, but it like it really just encapsulated the whole season. It was great. Anyway. Uh, we don't want to spoil anything, but we just wanted to talk about it because we got to end every conversation where we talk about something, whether it be books, war movies, TV shows. Luke, I always appreciate the time, man. We'll be uh, we'll be hearing you on some of those Zoom calls with Sean Payton. We play that audio a lot on the airwaves. So looking forward to that, man, and I'm sure we'll probably chat with you in a month or so. But um, continued success, buddy. All the best, and uh, thanks again. Sounds good, man. And, uh, yeah, anytime, just give me a call. You got it. That is Luke Johnson of – the Advocate and the Times-Picayune at by Luke Johnson on Twitter. I'm Scott Prather. It's ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app.